Uh, well, good morning. It is indeed great to see you this morning. It's great to be back here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, as you know, if you're around the last few weeks, I was not here. Uh, my family and I, we went on a little family vacation, and we had a fantastic time. We spent some time in Oklahoma with my family. Then we went up to Colorado Springs, and we did Focus on the Family. We did Royal Gorge. We spent some time there. And uh, for last week, we went to Sky Ranch Family Camp at Horn Creek, and it was a fantastic time. And I know in talking with some of you that you've been to Horn Creek, you've been to Sky Ranch, or maybe you go to Pine Cove Family Camp, and so you kind of know what that week is like. Um, but as I look back on our time there, I think the thing that made it the best for our family is that it was the first time, I think, in my life as a pastor that I went on vacation and I didn't take work with me. <laughs> I don't know, that's sad, that's kind of pathetic, but it's true. This is the first time, I think, in the 10, 12 years I've been a pastor that I didn't take work with me on a vacation. And my kids were thrilled. Uh, when I told them, hey, I'm not bringing my computer, I'm not bringing my laptop, I'm not bringing a book to read, I'm just gonna be totally and 100% with you, uh, my kids were thrilled about that idea. And looking back, I think that's why it was indeed such a great time. Because all week long, I was able to focus simply on being a husband and a father. And we've all heard the studies recounting the importance of everybody having a fatherly figure in your life. And I know as I say this that not everybody in this room, that wasn't your situation. That some of you in this room didn't have a good relationship with your father and certainly my, my heart goes out to you. And as we think about the importance of a relationship with an earthly fatherly figure, how much more important is it that we understand our relationship with our heavenly father? As we think about our relationship with our heavenly father, I've mentioned in sermons past, as we're working our way through our doctrinal statement, that sadly, the doctrine of God the Father has become a neglected area of doctrine. Over the last several months, I've at this point probably looked at close to 100 churches and their doctrinal statements, and by far the majority say nothing specific about God the Father. It's tragic. And so starting today, starting this week, this is entitled really Equip 2.0. Because our sermon series previously on Equip was working through our doctrinal statement, but now we come to a few areas that I think are missing in our doctrinal statement, and we begin with what our church believes about God the Father. It's an incredibly important area of doctrine. What we believe about God the Father, one of the three persons of the Trinity, we should probably say something about it, about him. And so to peer into this subject a little bit this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, you can grab your outline as well there in your bulletin. And just like we did in our Equip sermon series, so in Equip 2.0, we're going to follow the exact same outline. We're going to look at a text. We're going to talk about the theology. 
And then we'll talk about the takeaway, the so what, what difference does it make? Now, as you're turning to Matthew chapter six, number one on your outline, you might be thinking, well, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, this is kind of an odd place to talk about a doctrine on God the Father. Because by now, if you've turned there, you've seen that Matthew 6, 9 to 13 is the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray. And so why in the world would I pick this passage as our main text about the doctrine of God the Father? What's interesting is the Lord's Prayer is set in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is given in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And one of the interesting things is that God the Father is really the most reoccurring theme, you could say, in the entire Sermon on the Mount. That more than anything, Jesus talks about God the Father in this particular sermon, and we see it here in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, some scholars have said that uh, the Father in heaven really is the guiding theme of the entire sermon. That this sermon is addressed to people who recognize God in heaven as their Father. And so what I want us to do this morning as we work our way through the Lord's prayer is to look at it not through the lens of what to pray or how to pray, that's all good, but what I want us to do this morning is to look at this through the lens of the one to whom we are praying. Jesus would not mislead us or misguide us in telling us to pray something that's out of line with the Father's character. So let's look at this prayer, these words of Jesus, and ask, what does it teach us about the character of God the Father? Let me read the text for you first, and then we'll break it down phrase by phrase. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So having looked at this prayer... Again, what I want us to do is see how Jesus instructs us through this prayer about the character of the one to whom we're praying, about the character of God the Father himself. Let's break it down, starting in verse 9. Notice Jesus says, pray then in this way, and the address is to our Father. Our Father. Immediately in this prayer, Jesus establishes our relationship with God the Father. He uses these familial relationship terms. He defines God as our father and therefore us, his children. This is imagery and language of relationship. And as you look throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, about this description of God as our father, you see other themes emerging that God is loving. 
that the Father has chosen you and adopted you as his own, that he wants to be in relationship with his children. And so again, immediately at the very onset of this particular prayer, Jesus, is, Jesus establishes this prayer in our relationship with God the Father. But the second thing, notice he says about the Father, he says, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. That phrase, who is in heaven, describes not only God the Father's location, but it also describes his transcendence. That he is, he is altogether above and beyond us. He stands unique compared to us. There is no other like, uh, like him. In other words, these two ideas, our Father who is in heaven, it describes God the Father's relationship, his intimate relationship with us, and yet it also describes him being in heaven. He is transcendent. He is above us. There is none like him. And so he is in relationship with us, and yet he is also altogether above us. He's transcendent. A third thing we learn about the character of God the Father here in this particular prayer is that he is holy. He is holy. Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, by the way, with an A, not an O. It's not hallowed be your name. It's hallowed be your name. To hollow means to make empty, right? Uh, to hallow, you could say, means to fill with praise, with worship, with respect, with adoration, to treat as holy, to treat as altogether different, altogether above us. So Jesus instructs his disciples to pray in line with the character of God, and the character of God is hallowed to treat God's name with respect, with reverence, to glorify, honor, and exalt him. By the way, practically, one of the ways that we hallow God's name is by representing him well. Because we've been adopted in, because we are his children, because we are created in his image, we are his image bearers on the earth. One of the ways that we hallow his name is by representing his name well. Everywhere we go, we represent him. Fourth, another major characteristic of God that we see here contained in this prayer is that he is sovereign God the Father is sovereign. Notice verse 10, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, addressing God the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This verse really highlights God the Father's sovereignty. It's a prayer, it's a petition that his kingdom would one day come on the earth, that his rule, his reign would be manifested on this very earth that his will, not ours, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago when I did the sermon on eschatology, we know that ultimately this kingdom we're longing for, this kingdom we're looking for, is that thousand-year kingdom uh, where Jesus himself will rule and reign from the earth, on the earth. But our prayer as we await that day is that even now, God's will would be done today as it is in heaven. But this really highlights God the Father's sovereignty, his authority. The next characteristic we see here 
contained in this prayer about God the Father is there in verse 11, this petition that he would give us this day our daily bread. Here we see that the Father is our provider. In the book of James, James tells us that every good gift we have ultimately comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. He's consistent. He provides for his children. And every good thing you or I have ultimately is a gift of his grace. Keep in mind that in this day, in the first century world, many people were day laborers. They made only enough money to get them through the next day. And likely for you, that's not your situation. You probably get paid monthly or every other week or something, but nevertheless, the very life and breath you have, the very ability you have to work, ultimately is a gift of his hand. It's a gift of his grace because he is our provider. Next, we see contained in verse 12 that God the Father is our forgiver and our reconciler. He's our forgiver and our reconciler. Notice verse 12, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray to God the Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now the word for debt here is a metaphor for sin. You could paraphrase it and say forgive us our sin as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. We know it's consistent with the character of God that he forgives us. We see this throughout the Bible that God the Father is ready and willing to forgive you because of what Jesus himself did on the cross. I mean, this is part and parcel to the very heart of the gospel that God loves you. That the sad reality is that you and I, we both, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that we carry as a result of that an enormous weight of sin, an eternal weight of sin. And there's nothing in ourselves that we can do about it. But one of the most beautiful characteristics of God the Father is that he is forgiving, that he desires reconciliation to the point that he sent his son to die on the cross. And let me just say here this morning, for those of you in person, those of you watching online, if you've never really considered this, I'd invite you and encourage you right where you are, right where you're seated, to put your faith, to put your trust in Jesus, the one who died, the one who laid down his life in your place, the one through whom God the Father makes reconciliation possible. If you've never trusted in him, I'd invite you to do so. I do want to point out, by the way, the last part of verse 12. Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now let's be honest, that's a little bit terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> to pray, God forgive me my debt, my sin, to the extent that I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. Now the good news is that Jesus, God the Father, our holy God, will forgive us eternally and completely. But there is an aspect in our day-to-day -day relationship with him that what has been given to us, much is expected that part of being 
created in the image of God is that we forgive like God has forgiven us. That we forgive others just like God has forgiven us. And this is a scary prayer, is it not? Again, not your salvation on the line here, but your day-to-day fellowship and relationship. God, forgive me to the extent that I have forgiven other people. At the very least, this should make us to be a more forgiving people, right? Uh, When we realize just the the depth and the magnitude of the forgiveness that God has extended to me, it should naturally mean that I'm more forgiving to other people. I'm reminded of the parable Jesus tells of the man who has forgiven a tremendous debt, you know, millions of dollars, just wiped clean. And then after being forgiven, he goes to a man who owes him just a little bit of money and he demands payment. It's the same idea here. We who have been forgiven much should extend that same forgiveness to others. But what we see here in the character of God is that he is our forgiver and our reconciler. The next thing I want you to see here contained in this prayer that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray is that God the Father is our spiritual deliverer and protector. He's our spiritual deliverer and protector. Notice verse 13. Jesus instructs his disciples to pray to God the Father and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of your Bible translations might say deliver us from the evil one. What we know about God the Father is that while we live this life, we continue to struggle with sin. We talked about this several weeks ago, that we are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have this fleshly propensity to sin inside of us. We live in a fallen world, and ultimately we're in a spiritual battle. But praise God that he has not left us alone in this battle, that he here, as we see, is our deliverer and our protector. And finally, notice the last part there in verse 13. It might be brackets in brackets or in a footnote in your Bible because there's questions over whether or not this was original to Matthew or added at a later time. I'll save that discussion for a later time. Uh, But it ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, This prayer ends. Certainly, whether it was original to Matthew or not, it ends with an accurate description of God the Father that truly, indeed, God the Father is the glorious, powerful ruler over all things forever and ever. I hope you see that there's a lot here in this prayer. We can turn to the Lord's Prayer not only for instruction on how to pray or what to pray, but we also see in this prayer a good deal about the character of the one to whom we are praying. It's a beautiful depiction and description of the character of God the Father. We see, again, in summary, just in these few verses, that God the Father, he's our Father, he's transcendent, he's holy, he's sovereign, he's our provider, he's forgiven us, and he will deliver us. And this is just how good he is. Well, back to my time at Sky Ranch Family Camp. When we were there, uh, when we signed up to go to Sky Ranch Family Camp at Horn Creek, 
when I went online, it was kind of late in the game, and so there was just one week available for us to go to. So I just signed up for it. What I didn't know when I signed up is that the week we signed up for was designed for adoptive and foster care families. And, and by the way, this is not a big announcement. Um, we have not adopted a child, um, maybe later, but, but we've got our hands full as it is. Um, it's a beautiful thing, though. And one of the unexpected blessings of going to Sky Ranch Horn Creek during Adoptive and Foster Care Week is we got to be around some of the most amazing people. People who have chosen in love to bring into their home, to bring into their family children who come from very difficult and tragic backgrounds. And I know some of you can relate to that. Some of you, maybe that's a part of your story, and you know personally just what that is like. But all week long, it was a beautiful picture and a beautiful reminder to me of just what God the Father has done for us. Throughout the Bible, we see the language of adoption, that God the Father has adopted us into his own family, that he has chosen you, he has adopted you, he is loving to you. Just like these families this week. You know, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity over the years to participate in a few adoption ceremonies. And it is one of the coolest things that I have ever seen to go to a courthouse, to go to a courtroom, to stand before a judge, and a judge declares this child to legally have been born not to his birth parents, but to his adoptive parents. And even a new birth certificate is issued. And on that birth certificate, it states that this child is born not to their birth parents, but to their adoptive parents. It's one of the coolest pictures of the gospel I can think of. And that's how it is for you too. The reality is you were born in a tragic situation. I was born in a tragic situation. We were born in sin. And yet God in his love and his grace and his mercy has chosen you, has loved you, and has adopted you as his own. So what I want us to do as we look at number two on your outline is look at what a theology, what a statement on God the Father might look like. Now in the past, if you were here for the first part of this series, this is the point at which I presented to you what our doctrinal statement says, and then I broke it down phrase by phrase. Now we're now entering into this part of the series where we don't have anything to look at. This is a missing piece in our doctrinal statement. So what I want to do is I want to present to you how historically Christians have described God the Father, and then I'll propose to you my current proposal for what I think we should add to our statement of faith. So as you look historically, the doctrine of God the Father is obviously a very important area of doctrine, and I don't think anybody would deny that. I doubt anybody here this morning would say, you know, we probably shouldn't add a statement of God the Father to our doctrinal statement. I think it's kind of obvious we should. And so as we look historically, we see that Christians have seen the importance of describing who God the Father is. And it really begins way back with the Apostles' Creed. You may have heard or even recited the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But that's it. 
A little later, the Nicene Creed says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. A little later, a man by the name of Athanasius elaborated a little bit more, and he began to describe God the Father as uncreated, immeasurable, eternal, almighty, God, and Lord. And so as you look back over the last 2,000 years in the history of the Christian church, it's obvious that a doctrine, a statement on God the Father is important. But sadly, like I said earlier, it seems like we, not only Grace Bible Church, but many churches have just neglected to add a specific statement to our statement of faith. And listen, probably the reason why is that it was just an oversight. That in 1954, when this church started, you could assume a basic knowledge about God among people living here in the Bible Belt. But you can't anymore. And so I'm thoroughly convinced we need to say something. Because, again, number one, God the Father is kind of important, right? He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. We should probably say something about him. But then also number two, we need to have a statement about God the Father because over the last 2,000 years of church history, there has been a lot of confusion about who God the Father is. In fact, way back at the beginning stages of the church, there was a heresy that was presented. It's called the Marcionite Controversy. The Marcionite Controversy. Let me describe it for you just briefly. The Marcionite Controversy basically said that the God of the Old Testament, God the Father, is this angry, can't wait to send you to hell, mad God of the Old Testament. And then the God of the New Testament, Jesus, thankfully came along and he's the nice, loving, gracious God that, that we think of. And this Marcionite view of God was ultimately condemned to be a heresy. This is not what the historical Christian church has believed. And yet, I bet that there are many people today who kind of have that basic understanding, that they have that misunderstanding. That when they think of God the Father, they think of him as angry, laughing as he sends people to hell. But thankfully Jesus came along and he's pure love, that he saved you from the wrath of God. And I think a lot of people have this false view of who God is. And so what I want us to do is to understand that Jesus, first of all, he is loving and gracious and compassionate. He's also wrathful. He's also going to return to judge the living and the dead, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. But also, the character of God the Father, yes, he is a judge. He is the Almighty. He is the All-Powerful. But he's also patient. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's adopted you into his family. He loves you with an everlasting love. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. So listed on the back side of your outline... I've provided for you my current propo proposal for
for how our statement on God the Father might read. And let me give you this disclaimer. Uh, Even this week, I was changing a word here and a word there, and so this is not probably the final product. Over the next several weeks, I want your feedback, and I will make changes and tweaks, and at some point in the future, hopefully at our annual meeting, we, the elders, will present to you, the congregation, the finished product. And so in the meantime, I'd love your thoughts, because this is not perfect, it's not inspired, I think it's pretty good. Um, but uh, let's go through it. And basically, I presented three parts to this. I began with a statement related to the historical creeds. Then part two, I want to describe some of the core descriptions of God, the Father. And then number three, talk about some of his attributes that need to be held in balance with one another. Does that make sense? So let's go through it. First, The first part is we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. This is copy and pasted from the historic creeds. Part two is we believe that the Father is the sovereign ruler and judge over all things who also loves and cares for all aspects of his creation. We believe that he is the reconciler of all who come to him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. These are some of his core um, descriptions that we see in the Bible. And then part three are some of these attributes that we need to hold in tension, hold in balance. We believe that he is infinitely holy and yet abounding in grace, all-powerful and yet compassionate, perfectly just and yet patiently merciful. And so again, this will probably get tweaked a bit more before it's ultimately presented to you, uh, but this is where I want to get the conversation started as we consider it. But so what? What difference does it make? Why should we add a statement of God the Father to our doctrinal statement? Why should we take the time uh, to really talk through this as a body of Christ? As we look at number three on your outline, I want to talk about the takeaways, the so what, the what difference does it make. And to do so, I want to share with you three more stories from our time at Sky Ranch Family Camp, three stories that parallel with three things we can learn about our relationship with God the Father. Number one, uh, at Sky Ranch Family Camp this past week, something very significant happened with my daughter, Abigail. Now, Abigail, you might know, the name means my father's joy. Abigail means my father's joy. And last week at Sky Ranch Family Camp, Abigail began to speak. And if you're a parent, a grandparent, you know the joy that that can bring to your heart when your baby begins to speak. And Abigail, last week, she started to speak, and she now says, hi, dada. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? It's like, that's all I needed to make the, the week fantastic is Abigail with a big smile on her face with her sweet little voice says, hi, dad, dad, over and over and over again. And truly, Abigail, whose name means my father's joy, brought tremendous joy to my heart as she says my name. And in a similar way, God the Father delights to hear your voice. It brings joy to his heart to hear your voice calling out to him. That's why here in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us how to pray to God the Father. It brings joy to his heart to hear his children pray to him, 
cry out to him, call out to him in praise and in worship. God the Father loves you, and he loves to hear your voice. The second thing that happened at family camp this past week is, like I mentioned earlier, because I didn't take my computer or iPad or anything with me, I got considerable and consistent quality time with my kids. I was undistracted. I got to focus on them and my relationship with them and had nothing else drowning out. And in a similar way, God the Father desires to have an undistracted relationship with you. Now, in our relationship with him, it's not he who is distracted, but it's we who are. We get distracted by other voices. We get distracted by the worries of the world. We get distracted all the time. But all the while, God the Father is patiently waiting to have a relationship with you. Again, he sent his son so that you can have a relationship with him. He loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. The third lesson I learned at family camp this past week, the third benefit and blessing of it is that Han and I both got to have one-on-one conversations with each of our kids. It was just us and that one particular child at that moment, and we got to speak into their life things that we see, areas of encouragement and also areas where maybe we challenge them just a little bit. And in the same way, God the Father does so with you. Through his word, God the Father is constantly encouraging you. And he's also lovingly correcting and challenging you. The book of Hebrews tells us that those those he loves, he disciplines. That God in his encouragement and in his correction ultimately is trying to make you more and more like his perfect son, Jesus And God the Father works in your life as a loving father to make you more like his son. In summary, again, God the Father loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you. And he wants to make you more and more into the image of Jesus. And so for your one thing this week, your major takeaway and application, if you have time for nothing else, the one thing I'd ask you to do as a result of this message is to set aside some time this week to intentionally, to purposefully, in an undistracted way, connect to your heavenly Father, to pray, to worship, to study, to do whatever it is, to develop and foster and nurture an intimate time with your heavenly Father who loves you. Now to close, here's what I'd uh, I'd like to ask us to do. I can think of no better way to conclude this than for all of us to stand and to together as one church as those who have been adopted into the very family of God to recite together aloud the Lord's Prayer that we just studied here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. The text will be projected on the screens. If you would, please pray with me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.